Thanks for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. It's been a hectic week in the world of local governance. On Tuesday night, City Council accepted the resignation of the city manager, Chip Boyles. Boyles has only been serving as city manager for 10 months, and the city manager reports to the city council. So that makes today's topic even more important. In this episode, we're continuing our series on the local elections with interviews with two city council candidates. Juan Diego Wade and Brian Pinkston won the Democratic primary for the two open at-large city council seats back in June. But the race isn't over yet, and next week we'll be sharing an interview with independent city council candidate Yaz Washington. First up today, though, is Democratic candidate Juan Diego Wade, and I'm going to hand things over to our assistant producer, Paige Waterhouse, who conducted this interview. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes, um, my name is Juan Diego Ricardo Wade. Um, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I'm African-American, but I have a um, Hispanic name. My father named me um, after himself, um, but um, with the um, Spanish version of it. Um, but um, he was taking a graduate class at VCU at the time. So that's a little bit of background about my name. That throws a lot of people off, but I love my name. And um, so I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, big family, five brothers and sisters, very active in high school and in my community. Um, finished high school in 84, did my undergraduate work at Norfolk State University active there in the community. Got my undergraduate degree in, in urban environmental planning. And during my um, beginning of my senior year, a professor from the University of Virginia um, came down and said that, you know, they need more young brothers and sisters of color at UVA and you should apply. And coming from Richmond and, and I just never had aspired to go there. I just thought it was you know, hoity toity, but I gave it a try and I, I got in there in 1988 to 90 to get my master's degree in urban environmental planning and also met my wife there. We did not think that we would stay here. We thought we would leave, but this wonderful community has a way of drawing you in and it drew us in as we've been here since. In a few words, can you summarize what your slogan, bringing people together, means? Yeah, so, you know, this community over the last, you know, really many years, but particularly after the last four or five years, has just been torn apart. And I believe that I'm that candidate that can bring um, this city and this community together, be part of that because of my, you know, volunteer work in this community for the last 30 years, whether it's university, city relations, whether it's county, city relations, because I'm a 30-year employee of Albemarle County, I'm a graduate of the University of Virginia, I, um, the new president appointed me vice co-chair of his university community working group, um, whether it's um, my work um, in housing, whether it's equity issues and education, all of these things I have a voice in that I believe I can bring different factions together um, in this community to bring us together because everything that I've heard and talked with that even people that oppose, it's one thing they have in common is that they, that they love this city. And I think that, that with that as a common denominator, uh, you know, I can work with that. <laughs> we can move the city forward. We might disagree on how to do that, but that's fine. 
So looking at your website, it appears you have five key issues that you plan to address as a member of the city council. You have criminal justice, affordable housing, public education, economic development, and climate. What is, what is your top priority if elected? So I, I think that kind of a, you know, a light to all of those would be equity. And I think that that will be overshadowing, overshadowing all of that is to bring equity to, to the city, whether, you know, it's, um, it's in all those areas. I, I've, I've been asked, you know, which one would be your top priority? Well, it seems like each week that could change based on what the public is, is saying. What is going on in, in, in the police department with the police chief and the police union, it's um, the future land use map and, 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 and housing. So those are the five areas that when my campaign manager and I, when we sat down and she asked me, what, what do you want to do? And those are the five areas that I really want to focus on and um, that I think that I have the bandwidth, the capacity um, as a single counselor that these are the areas that I want to work in. And um, so I don't have one that's that, well, I'm going to put more emphasis on that. I think that a lot will be dictated by the agenda, by other council person and, and the public. And but um, there's plenty of uh, plenty of work to, to go around. What are some policy areas or issues that you think particularly affect the Charlottesville community today? So I think that one of them is what we call the Dillon rule is basically that, you know, we have to basically go to the state to get permission to do certain things that's not specifically um, given to us. And, and I think that that kind of limits some of the flexibility that we have. And sometimes I could get bogged down in a committee and it could take a year or two and things. And so I think that that is one thing that I would like to change. I know that it's been a big impact on, for my 16 years on, on the school board. But I think that that will allow us to to do a lot of other things, not only in education, but also in economic development, whether it's in policing. It just will give us, or taxing, um, it will give us a lot of flexibility to do some, some innovative things. In your statement, you said that there's no magic wand. But hypothetically, if there was a magic wand and you could change any law or a governing norm or like something in the state constitution, what would it be and why? Gosh, that's a great question. That is a great question, Paige. I've never been asked that one before. I think that if it was, I mean, it, this would go way back. I, I think I would have out, um, outlawed slavery because I think that that history just had a profound impact, you know, because of that. I mean, just so many things that we think about now, whether it's policing, whether it's economic development, whether it's education, housing, everything's kind of tied to that about how my ancestors got here and so many and it's 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 still having an impact now so i think that that would be my something that i would have if i could go back in time to change it would be that what has been your strategy for communicating with constituents during the pandemic um is definitely been um social distant coffees um, that, this is mainly with individuals when I particularly when I was contemplating running and talking with individuals, but primarily Zoom and um, good old fashioned phone calls. And some individuals that, you know, my dear friends that I talk with about this starting in, I would say, April, May of 2020, when I said, you know, I think I want to do this the darn thing. 
Um, but as we got closer into um, the spring of this year, of 2021, when, you know, it looked like we were turning the corner on this, that we could meet more. We, I had several meet and greets outside of people's, in people's backyard where I really could connect with individuals in person, but in a socially distanced and safe manner. That was really good because I feel like that's my strong point of, of just talking one-on-one or in, you know, face-to-face in person with people like that in that manner. How has your background in civic and youth educational leadership prepared you to be a councilman? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a member of the Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. And one of the things that we advocate for is mentoring. And when I mentor, I, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an obligation. It's a, it's a commitment that most my, my mentees, it's I start with them in the fourth or fifth grade and follow them through at least through high school. But many of them, it's not like, OK, well, you've graduated. Uh, let's not talk anymore. We still talk and come to advice now, and um, it's one young man I mentored, and and he came to me just a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, my job said that I needed a fancy shirt because he works at a high-end restaurant, and I need a chambray, and I, I had no idea what a chambray was. I didn't go to restaurants that where the people wore chambrays, and I had to look it up. I YouTube it or Google it, and I saw what it was, and I said, you know what? We can do this, and so... That's what I mean. He's been out of high school a couple of years and, and, you know, he needed something. He knows that he, he can call me. But when I need some information or whatever, I say, well, you know, what's what is this I hear that's going on in the community? He can let me know. And so when you develop that type of relationship with your, the young man or young woman, you get to know them, their parents, their siblings. And um, and I think that my philosophy on on young people in general is that. We all need what I call anchors in their life. Not anchors to hold them down, but anchors to support them in their life until they're 25 or 26. And so I want to be that. And and um, and I am that for, for many people. I just think it's vitally important. Most of these young men and women, they've been let down a lot in their lives um, by society or whatever. And I want to be that stabilizing force. And so, yes, I just think it's important and and. Um, and, and it has helped keep me grounded um, when, I, when I take my mentees. Part of what we do is that we volunteer in the community. And, and so that volunteering and realizing, giving back, that is others that may be worse off than you, that makes you appreciate a whole lot more what you have. That's part of what, you know, who I am and what I would want to, to bring, that mentoring aspect. And not that I'm going to try to mentor everyone, but inspire others to mentor. It's a way that you can give back to the community Um, just that one little person at a time. So this is your first year running for city council. Do you hope to stay in politics? What are sort of your long-term goals? So uh, I first want to get elected, and I I never said never. So I've been asked to run for city council for many, many years, and and I really had no um, desire to do that, but I've heard, I know long enough to know that I never said never. And, And But right now, from what I see, that if I'm fortunate enough to be elected on November the second, I'm not, you know, sure if I will have the capacity or the energy. I'm 55 years old. I feel great. I've been blessed, to, you know, to go um longer. But you know, I never say never. Not that I'm not trying to be coy, you know, with you or trying to 
weasel a lot of answering it, but I don't know what the Lord will tell me to do down down the road. But right now, it's so much work to do, um, you know, to um, to bring the city together to address all the issues that we've talked about. That I, I just can't say, you know, in twenty twenty five or whatever, what it would be. But you know, of course, here you have to kind of make the decision. Um, and what I found is that running for city council is a lot more difficult or different, I should say, than running for school board, um, where, you know, with education, it's just, you know, and it's a big issue and you have to raise a lot more money. It's a lot more constituents that you have to reach out to, a lot more of these type of things, which, you know, which I liked doing. Um, but Charlottesville is a small city, but it's, it's kind of big time politics, you know, and and I'm fortunate enough that I've been rustling around in here for the last 30 years. So I'm not a native, but, uh, you know, I understand how the politics work here a little bit. And um, so it's um, it definitely when I got here 30 years ago, I, I wouldn't have tried to venture in it or it would have been really ugly. <laughs> Any final thoughts or comments you want to leave me with? I think that um, I've been prepared for this opportunity for the last 30 years. When um, I, I got here um, and you know, started working here in April of 1991, my wife and I actually moved into the city in August of 99, that I've been prepared for this, just working, volunteering, um, um, given so much of uh, my time, energy, and passion to the city that I've been prepared for, for this. And, and I hope the citizens give me the opportunity to, to serve it and, um, and to move the city forward. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. All right, let's get back to the interviews. This one is with the other Democratic candidate for city council, Brian Pinkston. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. We've lived in the area for about 18 years. I'm married with three kids, young adult children. Um, They're graduates of CHS and and are at PVCC. My background, my undergraduate's in engineering from Georgia Tech. I grew up in the Deep South, a town called Albany, Georgia. Somewhere along the lines, I decided I wanted a Ph.D. in philosophy, and that's what brought me to Charlottesville to go to UVA. And the entire time that I've been in the area, though, I've been working as a project manager in facilities management. at the, That's how I paid my, my living through graduate school. So how did you decide to run for city council? Yeah, so the, this will be the second time I've run. The first time in 2019, uh, as I was looking at the folks that had stepped up to run, a lot of them, well, they all had a lot of respect for them in terms of where they were coming from and, and what they would bring to the conversation. But what I felt was lacking was 
for lack of a better term, a business perspective or the perspective of someone with managerial sort of expertise. And that's what I bring from my 30 years of doing project management, supervising leadership, the kinds of things that you do in an organization, you know, large organizations. And so I felt like that was a voice that needed to be represented. And so I jumped in to do that was unsuccessful the first time by about 100 votes and had not planned to run again. I was thinking of, you know, other possible ways to serve. And um, But in January of this, of this year, I got a, a number of people calling me up and saying, look, there's some, these seats are coming open. We think that you have something to contribute. Would you reconsider? And so I did. Yeah. So let's talk about what are some of your major policy priorities if you're elected? Well, the things that I would I would really love to see happen, um, the city's pretty much committed to doing the school reconfiguration project at this point is my sense of things. And um, I've been supportive of that for the last two and a half years. Our schools are in need of significant investment just in terms of their physical structures, but also um, what's being planned in terms of um, minimizing the number of transitions and how that should help um, with concerns about equity. So that's important to me. Another thing that's important to me is, I, and this is where we get into the finance piece, uh, the affordable housing plan, which is distinct from the future land use map, but connected. I think that that's a solid plan. The, the ask there is eight to ten million dollars a year, which is a lift, particularly with the schools uh, out there. So, a priority for me is going to be working with others to figure out how we get all of these important things done. Another priority that's going to be sort of thrust upon us is with the future land use map, assuming they get to a point where it's basically in a a good enough form to move forward with, taking that and doing the zoning work, the detailed, literally in the weeds type work where we figure out what is reasonable and fair throughout the city. And that's going to take a lot of hard conversations. And another thing that has sort of recently jumped up is is uh, in my field of vision, as with other folks, uh, is the, the uptick in gun violence in the city. Many weekends I'll be you know, working on going to sleep and I hear sirens start. And even though I live in a part of the city where that's not as much of an issue, it's an issue to our neighbors and our friends. And trying to resolve that will be hard, but it is something I'm going to make a focus yeah, what are some of your ideas or strategies for tackling the the gun violence? Yeah, well, the the tricky thing with that whole issue is that the issue with policing in Charlottesville is so tied up in how you deal with that. And policing in Charlottesville is obviously a, a hot topic right now, not only with Chief Brackney, um, her contract being terminated, with the Police Civilian Review Board and things that, you know, the conversations that have been happening around um what is appropriate policing. And honestly, I feel like we're getting there as a community, um, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. I feel like the, many of the changes that Chief Brackney was planning to make or is in the process of making were headed in the right direction in terms of the culture of how we want our police department to be. I think, too, with a police civilian review board, with even with all of the issues surrounding it. I think that they were and are getting to a place, and hopefully with this new executive director, to where they can build an effective partnership with CPD to figure out what our community needs and expects regarding policing, because that's the police are there to to serve and protect the community. And so I am hopeful that they're going to get to a place where both sides of that conversation can figure out ways to move forward in productive ways. But to go back to the gun violence, 
it's my understanding that most of those incidents are happening in certain pockets of, of the city. And so I think it's one of the most important things is for me as an elected official, given my own ethnicity and so forth, that I be very careful and that those in leadership in the city be very careful about what solutions look like. You know, it's a bit cliche, I suppose, to say that solutions need to come from the community, but it's true. They do need to come uh, particularly from the communities that are the most affected. Lying in bed at night and being worried about your child being hurt by a stray bullet from some person who's driven in from Orange County or whatever and just wants to cause havoc, that's a frightening thing. And it's not acceptable for people in our community to have that kind of fear. I want to talk a little bit about the previous council. What are some things that the previous council you think did well that you'd like to build on? Well, I think the the previous council, this current council, should be commended for hanging in there with COVID. There have been I mean, just the sheer number of Zoom meetings that they've had to sit through. You know, they all deserve a a round of congratulations for that. I think that they've hung in there. They've managed to understand all the various stimulus programs coming and to try to get those funds out to the community. And that is a huge, huge accomplishment. Hanging in there in the face of COVID is something we should all be grateful to them for. And what's something that you think the council could do better next term? Yeah, I mean, without like diving into some sort of set of particulars, I think most people, at least most of the people I speak to in the city, have felt that the interrelationships among city councilors, for whatever reason, have been beset by frustration and angst, whatever sort of terms you want to use, um, lack of trust and I am optimistic that this next council that sits in January will be comprised of people that are know each other well. I mean, I got to know Councillor Snook, um, McGill, and Payne quite quite well when I ran two and a half years ago. And they're people. I mean, it's not like we are good buddies and, and hang out every weekend or anything, but there are people that I know and respect and um, am confident that I could have strong relationships based off mutual respect and collegiality. And the same with Juan. Um, Juan lives down the street from me. We talk a lot. We both share democratic values. I think that knowing those folks that I just mentioned, that there will be a commitment to thinking the best about each other, really trying to work towards solutions that work for the city. To what degree are you concerned about representation on this next council with Mayor Walker recently saying she's not going to run for a re-election? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's a difficult one to answer without going into a whole bunch of byways. I, I will say that I feel like we're getting the sort of representation that we need with some of the deputy city managers that we're having now. Um, I feel like, you know, one obviously represents a certain set of backgrounds. Um, Cena comes from a place of having worked in the mental health um, profession. Um, we have Lloyd, someone who's lived here most of his life and knows a whole range of things, and it's very helpful. Uh, and then Michael represents a sort of younger perspective. So those are some elements of representation, but there are some elements that will not be as prominent. And so, yeah, it is something that I think about, um, particularly given who I am. 
and my commitment is to listen well and to be proactive in in trying to engage those voices. I'm always interested in people's takes on governing norms and the way that governance is set up, you know. So if you had like a wand that you could wave and change one law or governing norm or thing in the state constitution, what would it be and why? Yeah, so there's some specific things like I would we were now going to be able to charge people a nickel for plastic bags um, that they use at the store. I wish we had the power to just say that plastic bags are not acceptable in our community. You can use paper or bring your own. I think being able to tailor property taxes would be something that would be very helpful uh, in terms of, of a progressive type of taxation so that what we end up having to do is those who can't afford on the lower end of the um, wealth um, spectrum, when we want to raise taxes to fund new programs, we end up having to worry about how to take care of them, that they're not, that we're not hurting them uh, as an unintended consequence. Uh, I think any person in the city would probably, any person in leadership in the city would, would probably wish that, you know, we're a so-called Dillon rule state and we, we basically have the powers, only powers expressly granted to us. And I think, you know, the more we could kind of soften that up and, and be more flexible, the better. We are fortunate in having people like Delegate Hudson, who uh, is a great advocate for us and um, at least with the current state house and, and legislature, I feel like we have the advocates we need for Charlottesville's needs. And what would your strategy be for communicating with constituents if you're elected, especially given the pandemic? And- yeah, well, Juan has told me that I should. I won't. There's no need for me to worry about people reaching out to me. They will. They will certainly do that. And he's got the voice of experience in that. But yeah, I really want to be the sort of person that person could call up and say, could we get a cup of coffee, preferably um, a glass of beer uh, after work, and have the sorts of conversations. I I am on Twitter and Facebook, but I rarely post. Um, I honestly find those environments, there can be some good that comes out of them, but there's a lot of toxicity as well. And I think that what I would really love to see us get to um, is having people meet at Seville Coffee or wherever who have a different perspective on the future land use map. I've met with people separately on that topic. And this perspective, you know, they what the arguments they make are pretty good arguments. The other point of view, those are pretty good arguments too. Now, I, I may come down on one way or the other in terms of what makes the most sense to me, but I I think it's we're long overdue in terms of having people actually sit down and say, I disagree with you about this. What's your perspective eye to eye, face to face? And that's not just something local. It's it's our whole society right now. And that may seem, you know, way too old fashioned. I don't know. But uh, I th- I think that's our way forward. Do you hope to stay in politics? What are some of your long term goals? You know, I don't know. My desire every day is to live as meaningful and authentic a life as I can. And maybe that's sort of a silly thing to say or overly grandiose. I don't know. But that's what I want to do. And 
participating with something like city council gives me a chance to use some of the project management background that I have, the very practical sorts of things that I can bring, as well as the, you know, I have graduate degrees in the humanities, so the softer side of things, and contribute in my local context. You know, it's it's very easy and understandable to get sucked up into all the national issues that dominate every conversation. But ultimately, where the rubber meets the road uh, in terms of helping people and making their lives better is at local government. And so I'm I'm looking forward to participating in that. I think I have something to offer. Um, in terms of the future, I, I have no idea. All right. So that was all the questions I had for you. Yeah. What else do you want people to know about you? Is there anything else we didn't talk about that you think is really important? Yeah, I I think that I have an eclectic background and set of experiences, which I think is something that is interesting and unusual, unique, I suppose, in terms of having, you know, I'm an engineer, I'm a professional project manager, I have those sorts of, you know, that's how I've made my living for 30 years. But I also have these real passions for the humanities and believing that trying to be thoughtful to think carefully about what it means to be authentically human in, you know, 2021. And how do we as people in the city, as neighbors, what does it mean to care for our neighbors? And and how do we do that in a way where we, you know, we, we still have to keep sidewalks have to be built, you know, bridges need to be repaired. We have all of these sorts of important things to do at a granular practical level. But how does that feed into and support the overall vision of building the common good, one where every person can thrive? I do want to be the sort of person where any decision that I make is informed not only on the merits of the case, but also thinking in terms of those in our community who have been historically marginalized. It's important to me. What did you write your philosophy dissertation about? <laughs> uh, on a late medieval, early modern scholastic philosopher named Francisco Suarez. Uh, he was one of the, he was like the second generation Jesuit. So he wrote tomes and tomes of, of, uh, of work on philosophy. And studying philosophy or the humanities in general, it it's just so good for the soul. It's so good for the mind. It's a way of like scraping things out and really moving beyond just kind of surfacey talk to get at real at the heart of the matter. So yeah, I'm I'm grateful for for my uh, time studying that, even though it's like a different world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? No. Uh, the elections November second. You know, depending on how you stand on various issues, this is a really important election, not only for our city, but for our state. People in Charlottesville in particular, in terms of the values that most people here uh, espouse, uh, folks do not need to just kind of uh, sit this out. They need to be engaged and paying attention. And um, a lot of the progress that we've seen over the last few years depends on having, you know, the sort of partners we have in the state at the state level. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our assistant producers this week are Paige Waterhouse and Sarah Howarth. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Marin Alasco and Jay Pun. This is Charlottesville Soundboard, 